At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. I'm frequently asked how I got started as a coach and a consultant, how I started Dose of Leadership, how I started this podcast. You know, it's still a work in process for me, I'm going on nine years on this show, but I've been uh, an entrepreneur, at least from a side gig of having this leadership speaking, coaching and consulting officially since 2007. And it has been an interesting ride. It certainly has its ups and downs and a lot of challenges and I'm constantly learning. And that's why I wanted to bring on today's guest. Since a lot of you have asked me, how I get started, how do you get started in being a coaching consultant, how do you start this side hustle, this guest is a perfect one to have on the show. So it's a little bit different than most of the Dose of Leadership episodes. I get a lot of pitches for people to come on this show, and a lot of them are people like Doug who have these uh, B2B sales businesses and helping coaches and consultants. Something stuck out with Doug, and I thought, man, this would be, I have a hunch this would be a great conversation, and I was right. He certainly did not disappoint. It was so fun talking to Doug. He is the CEO of Business Success Factors. He helps businesses grow and accelerate their sales revenue as well as expand and optimize them. He mainly works with B2B businesses and and B2B businesses coaches and consultants helping them grow their businesses. He's also the creator of Sales Revenue Growth University where he teaches the best sales revenue growth strategies to companies who are serious about their sales growth. So you think, well, how, how does this fit in Dose of Leadership? Again, we're not talking so much about leadership stuff, but I thought, you know, since so many people, so many of you have asked me what it's like to start a business, there's a lot of inside baseball here, particularly if you're interested in attracting high-end clients. I know for myself, when I started this, we see these pitches on Facebook and LinkedIn and these people telling us, hey, do this course, set up this email funnel, this marketing funnel and everything else, start a podcast, build an email list. And you're going to have these high-end paying clients knocking down your door, filling in your funnel. Uh, Yeah, easier said than done. And I certainly haven't cracked that code. Yes, the podcast has certainly helped me do that and get my name out there. It's it's a thing I can point to for sure. I get keynotes out of it. Sometimes those keynotes lead to relationships with the CEO and the CEO and I talk. And then eventually we have a contract where I'm working with them for six to 12 months. And of course, I talk to CEOs on the show. So one of the benefits of a podcast, but at the end of the day, and we talk about this in the show, you got to have, and all my peers and all my friends, we've been on the same path. We've talked about this at the end of the day, if you're going to have high end paying clients, you're going to have to have conversations with these people. And sometimes they take two to three months to establish. And that's a lot about what we talk about in here. Uh, Some of the inside baseball, some of the self-discipline that it takes behind the scenes to have these conversations, have these critical conversations. And there's so much value in this show if you're interested in starting your own business or even if you have one right now as a coach and a consultant, how you can improve. So I think you're going to enjoy it. It's a little different, like I said, but man, Doug was was so fun to talk to. In fact, we talked almost an hour after the conversation. He's just that much, has has that much value and it's just that easy to talk to. He's worked with so many people. He started over 35, built Started and built over 35 companies. He's been a independent president of sales and training for companies run by Tony Robbins, Chet Holmes, Russ Whitney. So he's got a lot of insight, guys. God, I just love this conversation. So much fun. Let me know what you think of it. Reach out to me at doseofleadership.com and let me know what you think about this show. And if you're so inclined, if you're finding value, please take the time to follow me on your favorite podcast application and write that review. It's because of those reviews you've pushed me into the number eight top podcast in the business management category in Apple Podcasts, and that's because of you. Thank you for that. So keep those reviews coming and those, hopefully they're five star. And I'm so glad that you're a supporter of Dose of Leadership. And this show is brought to you by my brand new 
sponsor, Awesome Broso Tequila. As I've said before in other episodes, I am not a heavy drinker. I don't really like the taste of alcohol, to be quite honest. But every now and then, something strikes up that really blows me away, and Awesome Broso Tequila is that. This is seriously good tequila, guys. And I know you've all got that bad experience with tequila. We've all had that tequila sunrise moment where we're going to swear off that night and, and, and tequila ever again. I'm telling you, this stuff is seriously different. I totally enjoy the Gran Reserva. It's an awesome sipper, particularly during fall and it's nice and cold outside. You get that little chill in the air, fall in the air. This is a great one to kind of sit back and watch some TV and get in that sweater. It's really good stuff. And I also like La Rosa Reposado, it's particularly if you want to mix it up in a cocktail. What's unique about La Rosa Reposado is that it's aged in red wine barrels, gives it this pink hue. I've never seen pink tequila, and it's so good. It's good by itself, but it's really good in mixing it up. My wife mixed it up in a great mixer, and it was so good. And Awesome Broso makes it so easy to buy. Just go to their website, atequila.com. That's a letter A, tequila.com, to order, and it shows up right at your door. And if you're listening to this episode, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first purchase. Just enter the code LEGEND when you're checking out there on their website, and you'll get 10% off. Go check it out, guys. Awesome Broso Tequila. You won't be disappointed. Seriously good stuff. All right. Thanks for being a fan of this show. Let's tune into now to this great episode with Doug C. Brown, the CEO and president of Business Success Factors here on Dosa Leadership. Well, Doug C. Brown on Dosa Leadership. Welcome, my friend. Thank you, Richard. I'm a uh, pleasure being here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you. You know, um, I saw you were an army dog. Is that right? I guess it's okay. I'll let an army guy on my show. <laughs> well, sometimes we covered the us, uh, the other uh, sections of the military too, right? That's so right. I was, <laughs> I, <laughs> what, what'd you join the army? What was, did you go as an officer? I didn't know. I, I didn't know much about your army career. Officer no, I, I started enlisted uh, and I joined the army because I was a almost 19 year old trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Yeah. And and, you know, I, I had this thing called the, the GI Bill that I wanted because I wanted to go to school. Right. Man. Right. And my uh, my uh, my dad was a Navy guy and my grandfather was an Army guy and my brother was an Army guy and my other brother was an Air Force guy. And so I'm like, I don't really want to do four years, six years of my initial term. So I'll go to the short term. And that was the Army. And that's how I ended up in there. Awesome. What did you what? How long did you end up staying? How long did what? Uh, between regulars and reserve, 12 years, seven days. 12 years? Yeah. And how did, you know, for me, I've talked about this on the show a couple of times, you know, I didn't realize how much that experience being in the military had on me until I was away from it, right? Because when you're around it, you're kind of around the same bunch of knuckleheads all the time. You take it for sure. granted, right? Yes. Did, did that happen to you when you got out? I mean, when you got away from it, did you, what were some of the lessons? Well, uh, you can do anything you put your mind to, right? Because, uh, that was one of the lessons. I mean, here I am 19 years old. What do, what do we know when we're 19? Nothing. You know? um, so we think we know everything. I know, but, right? um, but, you know, you get in there with, you know, my case, I had 300 people in my class and, you know, I had uh, 18 weeks of drill sergeants because I was dumb enough to do what they call AIT and uh, basic all in one, you know, they call it an onset unit. Um but, you know, I, I came out, uh, depending on the category, first or second in my class, right? And when I got in there, it was, it was kind of rough for me because I hadn't been used to being treated that way. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it really kind of defines whether you, whether you step up or don't step up. And the reality is that um, when you do step up in life, even though you're not sure you can you accomplish it or whatever, magical things start to happen. And that's what happened for me. Yeah. You became, you know, right. I think, I know some people ask me along the way, like, well, should I do this or should I not? And I said, look, even if it's a bad experience, say you go in and you do four years and it was just an absolute nightmare, you're still a better person for it. You learned a lot, right? And sometimes you learned a lot, like, and it's unfortunate sometimes you get, and I'm in your 12 years, I'm sure you saw good leadership and you saw bad. Uh, we all have. And boy, I learned a lot from them bad leaders. I learned a lot. You know about what not to do. Like I don't want to be that jackass, right? So, you know, yeah, we 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 had a bunch of those too, and and I think that's one of the advantages to being an enlisted person first, yeah, then going as an officer, yeah, which is the which is the pathway that I started. Uh, same with my brother, you know, um, 
because you learn what it's like to be on both sides of the fence. Yeah. And if you just go through, and I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't people have gone through, become officers and did a great job without being enlisted. I'm saying that there's a different understanding of being in the field, in the game, Mm -hmm. in that, in that capacity, Uh, you know, sleeping in the mud versus sleeping on, in a, in a cot or a bed, you know, it just has a different feel to it. Um, So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great experience. I learned a lot. I learned how to step up and I learned that, you know, nothing is, nothing is, uh, can't be overcome or resolved if we are committed. And that's what I see a big problem in the, in the business world or, you know, you work with a lot of coaches, consultants, you know, it's a good idea, but they're not committed. Right. And they, they, yeah, that's an interesting point. I think, I think what you're saying that go, it goes around this whole idea of tenacity, right. Of it's so true. I mean, I mean, how many people have I, I've certainly saw it in the Marine Corps and I've certainly the entrepreneurs I've come across um, since and in the business that I'm in, the people I've coached people on this show that it is so less, less so about the talent. It's almost like the talent's a given, like you got to be good at something, but so many people just focus on that. And it's the tenacity, the commitment that, that seems to didn't get talked about enough or, or they don't realize that that's really what it's about. That, that grit and tenacity is way more valuable. And sometimes the measure of success as opposed to talent. I mean, how many people have you seen? I know many who, the less talented person won or came out ahead just because they didn't quit. And the other guy did. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we used to tell this quintessential story when I worked with Chet Holmes, um, you know, two guys own, they, they go to the same school, they grow up together, grow up in the same family, go to the same school, had the same parents, um, go to the same college or university, same degree, get out. They both start a construction company. Yeah. And, you know, five years later, one struggling and the other has a hundred employees and is thriving. Yeah. What's the difference? <laughs> it's exactly two factors that what, what you just said, it's the commitment and consistency to that. And the second thing is the skill set. Yeah. So, so here's the thing to be successful in, in, in selling, you always want to improve your skill set, but 80% of the game is the other side is the commitment. It's the commitment. It's, it's, I was never, I was good at sales, but I was never the best until recently. I'll, I'll brag now, right? Because I, I just teach people what to do. I had to learn to break down what I was doing, but I was always the number one or number two person in the company. And if I was number two, it always drove me crazy. So why did it drive me crazy? Uh, you could call it ego but all top performers have a certain set of ego and that's what helps them sell. But it was really the commitment to, I'm going to be at the top and I'm going to make money because I, my kids, I, you know, that was my driving force when I was, was driving in sales all the time. So that commitment to that bigger thing than myself and going through and saying, okay, I don't care if I'm embarrassed. I don't care if I seem like the smartest guy in the room. I just want to win at this. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that will to sell, that will to drive and the will to succeed. Um, it's the same thing that in basic training, right? yeah. it was the same, the same concept. Boy, you know, it's that I said this many times on this show. I think it's the, the intensity of will. And I think mm-hmm. cu- coupled with a humble teachable spirit, I think those two and where they intersect, that's the <clears> sweet spot. That's what I try to do all the time. Right. And if I'm either, if I'm off kilter, if I'm not getting the sales, if I'm not getting the clients, it's it's because I'm 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 not in that center of that Venn diagram. And it's usually I have the humble teachable spirit that comes more natural to me. It's the it's the commitment, the intensity. Because let's face it, we're we're all faced with resistance when we're trying to do these things. I know right. for me when I'm trying to get more clients, and it's tough, man. You know, you would think that creating a podcast like this and talking about leadership and people having this and, you know, and the thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that listen to this show a month, you think people would be knocking on my door to say, Hey, come, come have me teach me leadership. <laughs> it's not the case. And I know a lot of podcasters the same way, right? I mean, you still got to develop relationships. You got to get people to know, like, and trust you and, and you've got to develop them. And I got to tell you, when I'm not getting the clients, it's because if I'm honest with myself, it's because I'm not 
I'm not fully committed. But I got to be honest too. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what to do. You know. Sure. And maybe I make it too complicated. So what do you think? When what did you think when I just I said a lot there? How did that resonate with you? Well, I think there's there's three things, right? There's um, a client I had before. He's you know he, he had this insurance process or a way to help insurance agents and. You know, he would go out and his first line would be, I'm making a million dollars a year net and I'll show you how. And he told me, he said he couldn't convert it. (laughs) So, And he's like, I'm confused. I make a million dollars a year net and I would think everybody else would want it. So I said to him, I said, your clarity to truth is different than other people's clarity to truth. So what is their clarity to truth? Right. That's that's the really kind of the first point. In other words, everybody, you know, uh, Alan Weiss taught me this. He said, Doug, every, sometimes everybody's going to have a, yeah, Alan's an awesome guy. I love him. Um, he said to me, he said, uh, Doug, uh, there's always somebody who has a bigger boat, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? He's like, take the salt and the Brunei and all the, you know, the, the ex, uh, He's no longer alive, but the ex-partner of Bill Gates, right? Yeah. And Microsoft, they, they were battling back and forth. Who could have the biggest boat, right? Uh, throughout the whole thing. But the reality is what, what in, in truth, what is the boat for us as the individual? So if we don't, if we compare ourselves to other people, we're going to have stress yes. in that capacity, right? So clarity of truth really means what's true for you. And then the second point is, how do you want to live your life? What do we want as a lifestyle? Because too many people start with a money goal first. And I'm totally guilty of this. Like when I was in sales, it was all about money. Yeah. Everything was about money, right? Right. But the real driver was my children. I never wanted them to grow up like I did because I grew up in a in a household that supported me, but it wasn't like we were flush with cash. Right. So when I wanted to do something, I had to figure it out. I want to teach my kids also how to create their leverage. So second thing is right fit client, right? So not ideal client, but right fit client. The, 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 the right fit client really is, okay, um, what is that client that supports the lifestyle that I want? So that would be the third point, sorry. First point was uh, you know clarity of truth. Second point uh, was getting clear on what do we want in our life. Yep. And um, and, 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 yeah. And, and being truthful about all this stuff, though, not hyperinflating it. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes, yeah. yeah, when we do those exercises, I agree. I like that. Sometimes it's not steeped in, even when you're by yourself and you start doing that work of like, well, what do I really want? Who's the ideal client? You know, what do I want out of life? What does it look like? Sometimes I even find myself filling those things out. Well, what would other people think? Right. Instead of really looking internally. <laughs> Does that make sense? You know, <laughs> it totally makes sense because we were habituated as little kids to think this way. Yeah, right, right. So we've got all these habits that are on autopilot that we don't even realize. And you know, if you grew up in an environment like you know, money doesn't grow on trees, or you grew yeah. up in an environment like you can't have expensive things, right? Uh, because we don't have expensive things. Um, it it we want to serve our mother, father, preacher, teacher, whatever, right? Yeah. And so we still carry these things because I always say, you know, as human beings, we're not, we're just still little kids in bigger bodies as we get older, right? Yeah. We don't, we don't let go of that. So part of it is getting clear on the truth is being truthful with ourselves. Yep. Right. Yep. Like there was a time, you know, I've been involved in building companies up into the hundreds of millions of dollars with, you know, collective partnerships and things like that. There's no way I want to do that again. Right. Right. I just don't. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, I'm at a place in my life where X amount of dollars a year is good enough for me at this point. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, I want quality of life. I don't, I, I, you know. Yeah. It's, we, it's so true how you kind of said that, like, oh, this much money is going to, no, it's, I, I do think quality of life is, is kind of the key and knowing what that looks like and doing the work. And I, for me, it, you know, I don't think that's something you just can do in 30 minutes. Sometimes it takes a couple of weeks, sometimes a month. I mean, you really got to sit there and, and marinate on that in a very quiet space for me anyway. And, and for a lot of, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I don't remember. It. it just, it takes a lot of work for me. It does anyway to really, because my mind is just, it's like a drunk monkey, you know, it's always bouncing <laughs> around, you know, double fisting a, a couple of beers. And I just like, God, how do I focus? You know, I'm, What's that? What's that dog and up with a squirrel thing? With squirrel, you know, <laughs> squirrel. Yeah, right. That's me. But, it, but 
yeah, but if we go to squirrel, why do we all go to squirrel? Right. Cause, cause we always think we want something more. Mm-hmm. So the, the reality is if we're struggling internally with the decisions, we're not being truthful with ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's, it, you know, it kind of like in the military, right. If you got into a firefight, you, you have three choices, right? <laughs> lie down, do nothing right. <laughs> Two, run away or three fight, fight. Right. But in that moment, you're going to make a, you're going to, you're going to come to the truth in, in, in a lot of ways. Right. So, and I've seen guys, you know, freeze, I've seen guys run and I've seen guys fight uh, as well as women. So I think it's not really much more than that. When we're, when we're, when we're struggling, we're starting to run or we're starting to fight against ourselves because a lot of times people don't think they're deservant of this. Why? Habituation of our teachings growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, And, or, you know, they, they lack the confidence to be able to go there. So, or they lack the skill set. So therefore they lack the confidence and they don't understand how to get the confidence of the skill set there. Right. Right. And And a lot of times it's just talking to somebody who's been there, done it, and they share the secrets, right, of what they do. And and then you go, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got to do, right. right? But we we self-limit ourselves as human beings. And I, as you do, you know, coaches, consultants, business owners, they self-limit themselves because we're all set in a certain frame. Boy, that's the truth. I've had a lot of people tell me I don't dream big enough. You know, I think I'm dreaming big. And then I've had a couple of great mentors say, now you, you, you're not dreaming big enough. And I'm not talking about just financial numbers. I'm not talking about, you know, or being just because my point is they saw something in me that, no, you're bigger than that. Right. Right. And I think that's valuable. Right. If if you can find somebody that can remind you that if, but somebody told me one time that, and this goes to, you know, getting a client and you get to the point where for me, it was a stressful point. Well, what is this going to cost? You know? And you mentioned Alan Weiss. Boy, I tell you, Alan Weiss has, has been key in changing my mindset on, on delivering valued, you know, type proposals and products. Sure. He's great. But so someone else told me that's like, hey, you know, think of a number that's about to make you puke and then double it, right? And that was always like that. Because <laughs> we do underestimate. My point is we underestimate our value uh, for whatever reason. I mean, I don't know why we we're wired that way. But we, as individuals, we don't. If if we're good at it, if we if we have that humble, teachable spirit, I think I think we undervalue ourselves. What do you think? I think it, again, it's because we don't know how to present the value. Yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. So it's you know, and people they're not taught to think in value. So a lot of yeah. times they're taught to think of money for trade time, mm-hmm. right? And when you're in that model, you can make money, but the reality is you're not going to necessarily get free in that model, right? So what we do in a trade for time model is we shortchange our ability to actually set ourselves free and, and create leverage in our own business as a solo entrepreneur, if you will, or or even other entrepreneurs. Um, so if you have a way to quantify the value, I mean, you know, I do I do profitability and, and sales growth for companies, right? Mm-hmm. I, so if I can go in and it costs the client nothing, but I can give them a 10% raise in profitability. What is that worth? You know, if they're, if they're profiting, uh, I don't know, a million dollars today or 5 million today, and I can give them $500,000 of pure profit. Now, what are they going to sell to actually make $500,000? They might have to sell 2 million or more to actually make that. I talked to a guy the other day. He's like, yeah, my profitability is 2%, right? So to, you can run the numbers. So if I can get them $2 million in gross sales, which equals 500 profit, profitability, that's one thing. What's that worth? Yeah. Right. If I can get them 500,000 in profit and then help them sell another 2 million, I've upped the game by a million dollars. What is it worth? I mean, yeah. they, you know, I mean, is it certainly worth 23 25%, right? I mean, so for them to pay me 200, $250,000, but they get back a million in profit and their company has grown and now they own the system, that's a good exchange for them. Yeah. Right. So if we can provide a 5X, even a 3X, but certainly a 5X return on value, 
you know, and a guy like Alan, he goes for 10 X. Um, I found that you don't have to go that high, Yeah. but you know, a five X return or a three X return. I mean, where are you going to go and take a hundred thousand dollars, put it in the bank and get 300 grand back in right. a year? Right. It's not going to happen. Right. right. So we have to quantify what that value is, not only in the terms of ROI professionally, but also personally, what does that do for that person? Once we, you know, if we got them a million dollars in profit, can they, they can hire other people. They can invest in systems. They can reduce their stress. They can have higher repute amongst their coworkers and people that are out there. They can feel more secure. They might have a happier family or a happier family life. They get to take their kids on vacations or send them to private school, whatever it might be. That is a professional and a personal return. And we need to quantify those values, Richard, when we're putting together our proposals, when we're putting together the conversations. Yeah. And well, I agree with you. And, and, and um, boy, I've been there a couple of times and, and, well, it's really two phases. Even back up, like I'm curious about getting getting that call. I mean, getting to that point, right? I'm curious about what you tell someone like myself. Is like, a, from a system standpoint, you know, it's getting it's getting that chance to have that conversation. That's always a big challenge. And then when you do have that conversation, steering it towards to what I'm hearing you say, hey, we're not talking about you know time trading time for dollars here. We're talking about a value proposition. You know, what's it worth to you? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, to get the conversation, we have to get to whatever the frustrations and potential opportunities that they're seeking. Yeah. Right. And a lot of people miss this in the, in the, what people would call marketing or prospecting, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they throw out a message that's not resonating because they're not asking, they're throwing a message a lot right. of times. Right. So, so it's asking, but that's a key point. Right. I mean, cause I think too many people don't ask. No, because they're, you know, they, they go to these trainings and, drives me insane when, when people teach these things, because it's like, okay, well come up with your, you know, ideal proposition. Well, all right. Who's your right fit client. (laughs) If we don't understand who the right fit client is up front, how are we going to give an ideal proposition? And do we understand what language they speak? So, you know, I married to a lady um, when I first met her, she couldn't really speak English because she's Polish. And so how did we communicate in the beginning? It was very interesting, right? I had to start learning some words and, and I'm terrible at Polish, but she learned English. And so as we start to go, she would tell me things in her life that she wanted, potential opportunities. She would tell me things in her life that she didn't want or she was frustrated with at that moment. So what do I do? I put together the, the conversation wrapped around resolving the fears, frustrations that she has and giving her the potential opportunities. Right. Right. And in painting that picture and then, you know, quantifying my own value of being able to do that. Well, guess what? I'm married to her today. So it worked. (laughs) Right. right? (laughs) (laughs) And we're, and we get along great. I mean, it's, and it's been years and, you know, there's, I think, I think in seven years we've had three disagreements right? Because she's the right fit partner for me right. and I'm the right fit partner for her. So you qualify that up front. Once you understand that, then once you understand the language they're using, you're going to put into a statement or some type of form. A lot of people call this marketing, right? You just, you, you, you give them back what they're looking for and then you drive that to a conversation. So, you know, with, with my clientele, I'm usually dealing with owners or CEOs of companies who are frustrated by the performance of their sales team Mm -hmm. in their heart of hearts knows they should be doing better and they can do better, but they either understand why and they don't know how to implement or they don't understand why. And they need someone to kind of help them through that transition of that process and help their team. So I know that resonates with owners of companies and CEOs because they've told me they're frustrated. Right. And so once we get to that point, it's like, are you frustrated or do you have this potential opportunity in your company X, Y, Z? And, you know, would you like to have a discussion around it? How to resolve it? Right. It's really not much more complicated or complex than that. No, I, I I love what you're saying. And then I, I, I'd imagine when you get in to the conversation, you're just doing a ton of listening, right. Asking a lot of questions. 
right? I've been, gu- I've been guilty of talking too much like anybody, but I've learned over the years that the questions we ask all have to lead back to what we want the end result to be mm-hmm. with one caveat. And I teach this all the time. Win-win. It's got to be a win-win. Double win for everybody. Yeah. Right. So that means if it's not the right fit for that person or that company, we as the selling entity disengage. We, 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 we walk away from this process because there's no bad clients, Richard. There's bad sales decisions by usually the person selling. Yeah. Right. Um, we're taking on somebody that's not the right fit. And we know it, but we do it for the revenue. We, we do, do it because right? we're, we're low on cash flow and like, God, I need this. And man, it would be great if I had it. Yeah. And, and then you just go down a man and those turn into nightmares. I've had a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's not the client's fault most of the time, right? right? It's, it's that person who actually persuaded that person to say yes. Yeah. When they knew that this was a potential that it wasn't going to work out. So when we disengage, you know, respectfully, um, it's the right thing for them. And when they understand that we're playing for their benefit, guess what? They'll get more referrals because yeah. they're like, listen, this guy didn't pressure me. It wasn't the right fit, but you know, my friend, John, this is the right fit for John. So they'll introduce you to John or Mary or whoever. So it's, it's really about getting the conversation is about establishing who's the right fit in the beginning, understanding what they want, creating the messaging around that introducing the conversation in a permission-based way to them. Like, Hey, would you like to hear about this? And then once you get engaged in the conversation, now it's about asking questions to uncover and discover, is this a real thing that they want to solve? And if so, can we, as the person providing our services or our products, solve that problem? If so, it moves to the next step, finding out, you know, discovering budgets, discovering, you know, uh, the parameters of how they like to work. And if it's a good match and we do our job the right way, the close is easy. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I got to talk to you about my brand new sponsor, Awesome Broso Tequila. I got to tell you, this stuff is crazy good. It's easy to sip. It's perfect for gifts. I got the holidays coming up. And when I first tasted this tequila, it absolutely blew my mind. We all have bad memories of tequila, but this stuff is out of this world. I love this company. It's a trusted, family-owned and operated company. They've been creating tequila for many years, but they've perfected this unique, time-honored craft, producing what I consider and is considered the best tequila in the world. From their La Rosa Reposado, aged in Bordeaux wine barrels, which creates this really cool pink hue, to their Gran Reserva Ulta Añejo, my favorite, which is aged in new French oak casks. Each tequila is as unique as it is flavorful. Asombroso Tequila is honored to have received many awards throughout the years, notably the prestigious Rob Report's Best of the Best and Top Tequila in the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Although they have acquired many accolades throughout the years, their customers are what matter the most. Their continuous support and reorders are what motivates the driving force to keep producing the world's best-tasting tequila year after year. You can't go wrong with this stuff. You can find out the complete line of Asombroso tequilas on their purchasing site, atequila.com. That's the letter, atequila.com. Use the discount code LEGEND, and you'll receive 10% off your first order. Go check them out. Asombroso tequila. Really good stuff. The challenge is, you know, for me, it's always been the consistency of it, you know, finding that so it's almost like systematized that you're always finding somebody, you know. For me, it's always like, uh, well, how do I how do I get more opportunities to have those, those conversations in that scenario that you're talking about? So that, that's where that commitment and discipline come back in. Right. So, you know, I teach something called XXY. It was taught to me 20, 20, 20 years and years and years ago. So every day uh, you got to get up and you got to do X, X and Y. X means one way of contacting somebody. The other X means another way of contacting somebody. So if you took a number and you plug that in, and you said, I'm going to do 20 a day, 20 contacts by phone, 20 contacts by LinkedIn, whatever it might be. And then why is following up? <laughs> so you got to do 20, 20, 20. Now you got to follow up with 20 people, right? Day one doesn't work that well because it's like, okay, I just put out 40 and I haven't had any responses. But come day four, day five, you're starting to get responses. You got to follow up with at least 20. 
if you just follow that simple formula over time, what will happen if you're consistent every day, and it doesn't matter if it's 20, 20, 20, or 555, five, five, or whatever it is, what will happen is the XX will get smaller over time and the Y will be larger over time. So the follow-up will be larger over time because what will happen is you'll have so much pushing into the pipeline, if you want to say that, that what will happen is now you're having conversations through follow-up. And now those are leading to conversations like we're talking about. Yeah. Um, actually, this is a really good uh, subject matter. I, I'd like to plug something on myself that you, yeah, you probably don't know I'm doing. This subject matter we're talking about, <clears throat> I am actually uh, either at the end of 2021 or in the beginning of 2022, I'm going to be running a whole training on this whole concept <clears throat> uh, for, for people. So if they're interested, um, by all means, reach out to me and we'll put them on the the list of consideration and then, you know, we'll figure it out. But I mean, because the conversation we're having is probably the number one, two, and three challenges that most people selling services anyways, Mm -hmm. or B or, you know, or B2B sellers are having. So I I decided to create a university around this so that people can come in and have the accountability and the consistency and the feedback that you're talking about, because it's not just you or me that can have that problem. Cause I can get into that funk too, if I don't stay consistent. Yeah. But having that accountability and having the, the wisdom imparted and having the ability to break down things that are happening and move things forward. That's what this is all about. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested to hear about that whenever you get that launched. Yeah. That, that would be good. I mean, because you're right. I mean, I think it's easy to kind of stare at a computer screen. I think too, it's easy to kind of fall into the, the, I don't know, social media acquisition funnel trap as well, right? Oh. And, and, and you sound like, I'm I'm guessing, I don't know, but it sounds like you're kind of more, I don't know if old school is the right term, but there's a lot to be said about, hey, nothing replaces like what you just said, kind of doing the grunt work on a consistent basis every day. And I've, I trust me, I, I've, I've got, I can count on, I, I mean, multiple friends and peers were doing the same thing and we've all kind of went down that path and to the letter everyone said you know what where i get it most is where i just start building relationships and doing it the old-fashioned way and every and i tell you every significant client that i've had that has paid me significant amount of revenue and i had significant impact never ever ever came from an acquisition funnel not one nope and most most won't Right in that capacity, what you're talking. If you want really high end clients, they're they're not they're not doing what people are teaching in online marketing. Go, you know, right. do X Y Z. They're not. I mean, if you know, if let's say my target is a CEO of a hundred and fifty million dollar plus company, or owner of that company, well, guess what? They're they're most of the time they're not on social media. Yeah. Now they can be right. But they have assistants who are taking care of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So if we don't build a relationship, just as you just said, and this is one of the challenges with social media because people don't know how to build relationships, so they don't build them online, right? They're constantly like trying to pitch them yeah. right out of the gate, right? <clears throat> well, I mean, I don't know how many you get, but I mean, I, I go up into my LinkedIn and profile or whatever, and it's like, oh my oh, God, yeah, there's tons. like six of just, these things, right? They're always pitching me <clears throat> about something, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we we will, you know, tune that out, right? Because mm-hmm. marketing messages have proliferated with the use of the internet. You know, I, I don't remember the exact stats, but it was like in 1970, the average human being got something like two, 300 messages, you know, a day right? By TV and billboards and all this other stuff. Yeah. Now it's like 3,500 a day, right? That type (laughs) of thing. You're just getting whacked from all over the place. I mean, you watch television for an hour, you're going to see, you know, Cialis commercials and all kinds of things that just keep coming up, you know, uh, insurance, whatever it might be. Right. Right. So it's, it's, we, we don't realize how many times a day we're pitched as human beings, but on social media, people screen this out. Versus having something that's permission-based to figure something out, you know, owners uh, or or CEOs or people who are going to spend money, they're not going to spend most of the time, you know, 
fifty to three hundred and fifty five hundred thousand dollars by a single pitch over over social media. Yeah, you know, they're not even going to buy generally ten thousand dollars, right? They they need to have that conversation, and so. <clears throat> Again, plug in what I'm going to do. I teach something called conversational conversion, which is what I've been doing for years. And so how do you have that conversation so it's non-threatening and it's a win-win play, right? How do you get to that point? That's all in the beginning, you know? So if, if everybody who's listening here, if they could think of one thing that marketing, prospecting, and sales is not separate. It's one continuous thing. Yeah. They're not, right? Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. And so if we play that and we play the long game, but most people are too, you know, trying to just close a deal. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it happens, you know, um, but it's not the standard. And the reality is that if you're doing consulting or, you know, coaching or advising with, especially in the B2B world, the majority of decisions are made from peer referrals. Yeah, it's true. hundred percent. Yeah. so, So if we don't build those relationships, then we can't extend those relationships into other relationships. So we're constantly working harder and harder and harder. Yeah. I love what you're saying. And it's so true. It's, it's a good reminder, uh, particularly when people are trying to do this game. And I know a lot of my listeners are, are interested in, in becoming consultants, becoming coaches. I get asked all the time, like, how do you do your hustle? How did you do, how, how do I get started doing what I did? And I'll be honest with you, like I don't get it all figured out. Like I said, I I this doing this podcast has has changed and transformed my life. I've made significant income from clients, but I struggle with the consistency. I'll be completely transparent. You know, I I went into this game. I started the podcast initially. It's turned into something else. I don't. I just love having these conversations and learning and and part of curiosity and hopefully creating valuable content. But in the beginning, you know, nine years ago, I thought. Oh well, this will this will be my funnel for revenue source, right? And it's sure. and, and look, and you listen to the show, you're gonna you're gonna know like you're gonna know who I am. You're gonna know like and trust me because I, I I don't I'm who you hear on the on the podcast is me. So that has helped. I I, I got to admit that does help in the sales process. I can steer people to these 500 conversations, and they pretty much know me. And I, and I've had a couple people say, well, yeah, I know who you know the podcast has led to a closing for sure because the, the trust factor was there. Yeah. Because they hear, no, get the, like you hear repetitive, mm-hmm. you know, uh, information, realize you're a very smart guy that you potentially help them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so there's, there's two types of marketing really, when it comes down to this direct response and then branding, if you will. Yeah. So I, I call it short, well, there's short, medium and long, Right. And the, the challenge with the podcast is it's usually a long, yeah. right? It's, it's usually a six plus month process before you're going to start to see results out right. of that podcast. So, you know, if people are just teaching, hey, you know, put a marketing plan together and just throw a bunch of stuff in there. Well, there's not a lot of strategy to that, right? And so I have found it's better to go short, 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 long or short, 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 medium, long right? Because the short-term plays direct response. I am putting something else to get a direct reply to get into a conversation. Yeah. That is the amount of money that will carry you through until the medium and the long kick in. Kick in, yeah. Right? The challenge for a lot of people is they start with mediums and longs and the sales cycle runs three months to two years. They've got no flow coming in. And they lose and they go out of business, right? Because they just don't have that cash flow, as you're saying. Yeah. Oh, I love, love, love that stuff. I feel like I'm getting a free, uh, free consulting session from you for having me on the show. It's <laughs> good. It's again, it's the stuff. That's what I love about how you're presenting it. It's all common sense, right? And sometimes that's, but common sense isn't common practice. You and I know that, right? And it takes someone like you to kind of remind us that, hey, you know, don't make it, don't overthink it. That's, I mean, you haven't said those words, but that's what I get from you. Just from like, just talking to you and looking at you. You're, I feel like if I'd be in a, a, a coaching relationship with you, you'd be like, dude, stop overthinking it. <laughs> right. 
just get committed, get down and do the work, sit down and go do your 20, 20, 20. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd step back with you at first and I'd say, let's, let's get the right strategy together for sure. your life. Right? right. But once we understand that, yeah, then it's about that commitment to consistency and, and we all get off track. Yeah. Right. We all do. I mean, I've worked for some of the biggest companies and the biggest trainers in the world. Right. And, and, and consulted and coach. I mean, you know, I was the president of Tony Robbins, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. Right. So it was like, you know, and I've, I've watched Tony get off track from time to time. Right. Yeah. But he's the, the thing is, is it's not about getting off track. And I learned this from Tony. It's how quickly you recover. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, he's a very smart guy, but you know, uh, Russ Whitney was another smart guy. I learned so much from Russ, um, you know, but I've, I mean, even when I worked with CBS television, for example, they got off track, mm. right? They had a, they had a division called uh, like kind of PBS public broadcasting mm-hmm. and they had their sales team and their sales team, everything shifted to the internet, right? In yeah. a big way. But the sales team was trying to do it old tin man selling style, you know, where you just go in and you kind of beat up the client and you come down on top of them, you yeah. know, to pay for their advertising dollars or whatever. And um, it wasn't working. Right. So they got off track. Why? They didn't have consistent training. They didn't have updated training in the, in the process for, you know, and have coaching going on in the, with their sales team. So, you know, what worked in the sixties, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> we're now in the nineties and it was, you know, yeah, it didn't it work working. so well. So that that's, we all get off track if we don't have that consistency. And that's why I'm always saying, you know, people want to do a side hustle as a coach or whatever. It's not a bad thing to start, you know, but have the accountability there for people. Because a lot of times if we can get them doing the right actions, consistently and we hold them accountable to that they get results anyways because they hadn't been doing what they're supposed to be doing yeah dude i love your stuff man i just i I knew you know i get pitches all the time i probably get 30 to 50 pitches a day for people to come on this show and it's tough to weed through all that stuff you're stood out i don't know i just saw it and I, i said my instinct told me that you were just kind of the straight shooter authentic guy and um i garnered that just from the from the pitch who from um PR agency that did it. And I, and I was right. And, and, and this is why I wanted to talk with you because uh, normally I don't talk about this on this show, but again, a lot of people request or they email me, people, listeners of the show, they want to know how I did what I did. How do I start a podcast? How do I become a coach? How do I become a consultant? Right. And, and so I thought this would be a good fit for this. And I'm glad I came you on. How, how do people learn about business success factors um, I know you got a book out there called Win-Win Selling, Unlocking the Power of Profitability by Resolving Objectings. H- how can people learn more about that, connect with you? Well, they can go to winwinsellingbook.com if they want to get a copy of the book. Um, Doug Brown, you know, one, two, three, four at, uh, is my LinkedIn handle. So people reach out to me there. Doug at businesssuccessfactors.com. I do have people who look at my emails. So if you get a response from someone else, you know, that's okay. Just let them know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Hey, I heard you on Richard's show and, um, and, you know, let me know what the frustrations, pains, or, you know, opportunities that they're seeking. And, and I can hopefully help direct them, if not help them, um, you know, either directly or through, through resources, uh, you know, I, I am that straight shooter, Richard, because I, I, I had to learn this. Yeah. And I know that really, you know, what happened here was when I got with Chet Holmes organization, because I was a client of theirs first, um, but I had been coaching people on the side for free. And I'm like, you know what? I, I helped this company called uh, Coach University and uh, Coach University, while I was helping them on they they said to me, they said, you'd be a really good coach. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, thanks. Well, I used to play some semi-professional soccer, you know, and mm-hmm. they started laughing. And I said, well, what are you talking about? Because I didn't know about coaches at this time, right? I was helping yeah. them with their, te- I had a telecommunications consulting business. That's what I was helping them on. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they, they told me what it was and I said, oh, geez, I'll give this a shot. And so I started studying about it. And then when I went with Chet, Chet's company and his, his things actually helped move my company forward. I was like, you know what? I think I could do this. So I, I just blindly reached out and asked them, Hey, would you give me a shot? You know, I'll take all of your whatever clients just to show you that I, you know, can do this. 
Um, and I did. And what happened was because I took that first initiative uh, to take that step, right? It goes back to the courage and confidence and just, you know, because I did that, what ended up happening is I, be, I became their, their number one grossing coach in the first six months. Wow. So I was popping off $65,000 a month <clears throat> in coaching for them. And they were like, who, what are you doing? Right. So uh-huh. they wanted to know. And all I was doing was applying what I teach people that if you're going to be a coach or consultant to understand you're not in the coach or consultant business, you have to be in the client acquisition business first because we cannot deliver our expertise without acquiring that client. So therefore we really can't help the client if we don't teach them how to buy from us. Yeah. Right. So that kind of led me on the path. It was just by kind of, I'll say by accident, because when I started there, then they asked me to start helping their coaching divisions and, you know, their, their conversion went from 20% at 1500 a month to 25% at $2,500 a month, you know? And then they asked me to help their sales division. Then they asked the presenters division, the consulting division. And I was just teaching them what I'm going to be teaching next year or at the end of this year. And all their numbers went up. So it's, I had to learn this, but I had to learn to unpack it because I didn't know what I was doing. I was just, you know, I'd been working my whole life doing the same thing, that habit. But when I had to teach it, then I had to say, okay, well, what the heck am I doing? What's step one? What's step two? What's step two A, right? It's two B. And so that's what's happened over. That's why I'm authentic because I understand. Firstly, I don't have the ego around. I don't, I'm not out to prove anything to anybody. I'm, you know, I'm no, I'm no longer 30 years old when I'm trying to climb up the ladder, right? I'm 59 years old this, this year. And I'm just trying to now live more of a mission yeah. And, the, and, and the thing is, and I learned this from Alan, by the way, Alan said to me one day, he said, stop doing things for money <laughs> in, that, in that, in that tone. Right. Cause I'm here, I am, I'm closing the 150 here or 200 here or whatever. And he's like, stop doing it for money. Do it because you like to do it. And then your expertise will follow. And so I, I took that advice and that's how all of this came about. And the reality is my income went up 22% with that advice. Yeah. Because you're falling. Yeah. That's great. Right. So each year it's gone up 22%. Uh, last year, it's up over 20%. So far this year, I'll probably be around 22, 25%. And, you know, in coaching, consulting, that type of thing, you have a, a, a very high net, you know, your profitability is really good. So that's, that's why I think I'm authentic because it's just like, I just want people to win. I want to win too, but I know what it's like to be where they are yeah. most of the time. Right. I and, love it. I wish there were more people like you. Well, you probably don't because you got the market. <laughs> no, 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 no. no, no, I mean, no. But I think it's you're a breath of fresh air, man. I mean, I, I and I mean that sincerely. You know, because there's a lot of brosifs out there, whatever that term is. You know, yeah, guys pulling up with their rented Lamborghini and their, you know, it drives me insane. insane. I, I saw saw a uh, an email come out today from a a known marketer helping coaches, consultants, and bringing in this person who they called the king or queen of, right? Right. Say Right. And, and it's like, we're going to teach you the four-step process to sell any client. And I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> no, no, there's not four steps. Yeah. There really are not four steps. There's a lot more to that than, you know, it's like in my book on the objections, I wrote the book on objections because I wanted people to be able to handle objections, not not crush them, not have yeah. this parroted back thing. So I went into the psychology and philosophy of how objections even form. They form in our childhood. And once we understand where they come from and the frames that are there, now I'll give you the structure in the book, which I do, on how to actually uncover what I call the real it, right? What are they really asking? Because no one is objecting. And I shouldn't say no one. Most of the time, they're not objecting. What they're saying is not the real issue. Yeah, well, that's so true, <laughs> right? And it's kind of even kind of like I was gonna—I I was almost—I got sidetracked. I was gonna ask that same thing when you're having that conversation. I found the first thing they ask or what they think the problem is—that's really not the—that's not the real problem. You got to dig. No. You got to keep asking, and it's usually you know. And when you know that as a coach, right? When you sit down and you sit down from a client, not even selling somebody, just coaching with somebody or having a conversation with your spouse. The first thing they say isn't what really the issue is, right? 
No, 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 no. When you're, and, and I'll speak from con, uh, confidence here. <laughs> right. uh, you know, my wife will come in in the morning and she'll start asking me questions. And I, and I have to listen to what yeah. she's asking, right? Because, and that's, that's a thing. It's not that I'm being chauvinistic. It's no, just no. that men and women, we think differently, mm-hmm. right? We, we process things differently. Women will talk much more circular than men, right? So in that circular pattern that they're speaking, we have to be smart enough to be able to ask the question right. to uncover what the real thing is. Now, men will talk circular too, especially when they're unsure or they feel discomfort, right? Because uh, there's a multitude of reasons. One of them is male pride. The other is, you know, going back to the professional or personal ROI, what, what is it really that they want? If we don't understand what they want, like I, I was on a call earlier today and the gentleman said to me, he goes, well, I'm a high methodical, you know, I think about everything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And before I make any decision. Right. So I'm like, huh, good objection. Now let's put a structure to it. Well, it turned out that it wasn't anything to do with the methodical process. He just lacked funds. Right. Right. So now the solutions are, how do I help him get funds? And he wasn't prepared for that. But all of a sudden I'm like, there's, I can introduce you to this, that, or this, or why don't we create the funds out of the profitability of your company, if I can help put a couple hundred grand back in your pocket with no obligation on your part, I've created budget. Would you give me a piece of that? You know, (laughs) he's like, hell yeah. I'm like, would you give me 50%? He's like, heck yeah, I would do that for sure. Right. Because we're pulling it out of thin air. So we have to get to what the real it is. In his case, it was lack of cash flow, And he was afraid that if he put the money in, and it didn't work out, he's going to be in a worse position than he was in the beginning. But you know that went from I'm a high methodical to that, right? Yeah. So now, now we're having that conversation. But if people don't know, understand how to uncover that, and they do things like, you know, hey, the money's too much. Richard, I, really? Money's too much? You know, and they come back like to qualify it, but their attitude or tone is off. That person that's receiving it's going to start to recoil yeah, back. For sure. Before you know it, you're in a metaphorical arm lock, mm-hmm. you know, with a person. And now it's no longer about what they were fearing in the first place. It's about that person who's been introducing more fear into their life. <laughs> right. And they're, right? So, so, you know, I've had to break things down into these components for people, uh, you know, over the last uh, 15, 20 years. And, you know, once somebody understands what I call the philosophy behind it, it's not so scary anymore, right? Yeah. And it's not so scary to, to be marketing or, or prospecting on a consistent basis. But if you don't have a system for it, it's like follow-up. I mean, you get 200 people to follow up and there's no system. It's going to be erratic. Yeah. And, you know. I'm sold. I'm a fan. I'm going to continue to follow and, and learn more. I'm going to read your book. I knew this would be a fun conversation. It was for me anyway. I hope you guys. You're, some- you're you're a fun guy. So <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate it. Like, again, tell tell people again, um, and I'll have links to all this, but just how people can can learn more and reach out to you. Yeah, I mean, they can go to the website if they want. Uh, it's uh, businesssuccessfactors.com. That one's kind of geared more toward the corporate clientele at this point, mm-hmm. and we're starting to fill it in on the training side. Um, I, I was never going to do this, um, but my wife asked me something one day. And she's a lot smarter than I am, <laughs> right? And and <laughs> and she she asked me a question. She said, um, "You know, Doug, why do you do this?" I said, "Well, I do this to help people because I truly believe that if I can help somebody grow their profits or grow their their revenue, that that transcends or translates into good things throughout their lives yeah. and and into people's lives, right? That might be the difference between them firing somebody who has two children." because they think they can't afford them anymore or promoting that person and giving them a bonus that year or something of that nature. Right. So I look at it that way. It's kind of mission driven in that regard. Um, So my wife said to me one day, she goes, huh, interesting. She goes, well, you got all this training, you know? I said, yeah, she goes, it's excellent. People tell you it's great. I said, thanks. I appreciate that. She goes, no, I think you're missing my point. I go, what's, what's the point? She goes, how are people ever going to get this unless you do it? Right. And I went, 
damn, she's using the same formulas in my book. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. But, but, but the reality is that's why, you know, this came about, that's how the book came about the same way. Yeah. So, you know, cause I'm an introvert by nature. Yeah, me too. You know, so we introverts, what we have to learn is, and Alan taught me this too, is you got to get out in the public square. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, so yeah, I've had a really good conversation. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, on I love here. it. It's fun. And I look forward to staying in touch with you. And, and like I said, you're always welcome here on the show. And but but uh, let's stay in let, let's keep the conversation going outside of this and, and I look forward to, to meeting you face to face someday. Absolutely. Well the pandemic hopefully will settle down and yeah, we'll get back to uh, life sort of as usual yeah. uh, as it was before. Um but yes, yeah, so, and thanks. And again, um, you know, if people want to get a hold of me, they can Doug Brown, one, two, three, four at uh, LinkedIn. They can throw out, uh, you know, get win-win selling book. Uh, if they do that, send me an email and I'll actually give them a free video course oh, cool. on the, on the book. Very cool. Um, and, uh, and, you know, or Doug at business success factors.com. Good. I'll have all that, all that on the show notes. Doug, thanks for coming to the show, man. It's really fun. Thanks. I really appreciate it, Richard. And thanks for your uh, military service. Oh, thank appreciate you. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dosa Leadership brings to your world. Go to dosaleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.